Hi everyone, my name is <laughs> Abby Coltrin and I'm a covenant member here at the well. I'm a member of the Manchek CG. Woo! Yeah, and, <laughs> um, and I serve on the well college team in well kids and with the foster care ministry here. Today, I'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Abby. What is up, everybody? How's it going? Uh, my name is Yusuf. I am the college director here. Uh, and man, if this is your first time, welcome. We are excited to have you. Um, as we continue on in our series on what it means to fight for community uh, here at The Well. And so the last couple weeks, we've actually heard some really awesome messages on community and friendship. Uh, Tori, last week, he walked us through how isolation is hell in many ways for us uh, and what that looks like. It's not what we were created for. And then the week before that, Travis, uh, who is our missions associate here at The Well, um, uh, I mean, I mean, our church plant resident, sorry, uh, walked us through four marks of a good friend, uh, and today we'll be talking about covenant friendship, uh, what covenant friendship looks like, what it is, how it's applied in our lives. Uh, and I swear, I said the word covenant, right, and because some of y'all think I'm about to talk about marriage, I can tell that you, like, started to actually pay attention, right? And we're not talking about marriage. <laughs> covenant friendship is... Though it is a covenant like marriage is, um, it's actually something that can be equally as fulfilling and beautiful, um, and that's what we'll be discussing today. We'll see it in the context of um, David and Jonathan's relationship. And we'll also see how a lot of the, um, yeah, a lot of the things that we've talked about about friendship are practically applied. <clears throat> and I think we're going to see some really amazing things, hence why the title of today's sermon is The Beauty of Covenant. Friendship. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh, and so my hope is by the end of this sermon that you actually leave here, um, regardless of what you've been through when it comes to friendships or maybe what you're even going through now, that you would leave here saying, dang, I really want a friendship like that, right? Or that like, man, I really want to be a friend like that to the people around me. Um, and so before we jump in to our passage today, let's just get a little bit of context. Um, this is the point in the story where David has actually just defeated uh, Goliath. Uh, and as you can imagine, because David is just a teenager, uh, everyone's really impressed, right, that this little boy took on an like a, a giant. Uh, and so t Saul, who is the, the current king of Israel, he sends for David because he's like, hey, I want to find out who this kid is. Can someone tell me, like, someone bring the, uh, the giant slayer to me. And David shows up to give an account to Saul with the head of Goliath in his arm. And after Saul and David finished talking is when we pick up in verse 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of David was knit to the soul of Jonathan. 
And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. So real quick, Jewish thought on that word soul is that you don't have a soul. You, you are a soul, right? What you have is a mind, a body, a spirit, or a heart. And all of those things make up your soul, who you are. And so when the text says that Jonathan loved David as his own soul, this is a very intense, a very deep sense of brotherly love that's meant to communicate, hey, I not just care about your life deeply, but as much as I'm thinking about myself, my wants, my needs, I'm thinking about yours. I'm thinking about what's best for you. And so my question is, why does Jonathan immediately form this bond with David, right? Because if you think about it, David's giving his testimony to Saul. He hasn't said a word to Jonathan. So, so why does Jonathan knit his soul to David the moment uh, David stops talking? Is it a status thing, right? Because let's be real, we can assume that it is. I mean, if you know the story, this dude is a, a teenager, right? walking around with the head of a giant that's been terrorizing Israel in his arms. I mean, he's impressed the people of Israel. He's got girls writing songs about him. I'm serious, right? Saul has killed his thousands, David tens of thousands, right? And so, and so, so, so he's a little boy showing his valiant, like, courage. Uh, and I think we can assume that, that because of his influence, um, you know, that, that this is a, a status thing. And if you just think back to the moment, the, the story of David and Goliath, Goliath is a, a terrorist. He had been terrorizing Israel, and none of the grown men in the army wanted to take him on, right? So I'm not fighting that guy. You see how big he is? You do it. No, I'm not doing it. You see how big he is? And then David, the little boy, comes in with some rocks, throws them at his head, knocks the giant over, comes up to the giant, takes the giant's sword, cuts the giant's head off, takes his head off to report to the king. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? And so he's growing in popularity. He's growing in fame. And I think, I think Jonathan, him, him being there, seeing David with the uh, giant's head in his arm, we can assume that because his popularity is growing, that's what Jonathan wants to be his friend for. But if we assume that it's a status thing, we'd actually be assuming wrong. We'd be assuming wrong. Why? Because... When it comes to status, Jonathan is the one that actually wins the status competition. Because David, David is the last-born son of a farmer. He's a nobody. Jonathan, he's the first-born son of the current king of Israel. He's a prince, right? He's set to take over the throne, the future king of Israel. And so it's not David's status or popularity that, 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 that founds this bond between Jonathan and David. So what is it? Well, if you read early in 1 Samuel, there's actually another time where the Israelite army was vastly outnumbered by the Philistines. Uh, and, and so driven by fear, all of the Israelite soldiers were either in hiding or had ran away, right? But during this story, it's Jonathan, not David, who's the one that shows great faith in the God of Israel. He shows faith, that this faith drove him to fight on Israel's behalf trusting God to deliver him the victory, even though they were overwhelmed, even though it was a massive army, and even though it was just Jonathan and his armor bearer. And we see a glimpse of this in chapter 14. But what I really want you to notice is the parallel between Jonathan's story and David's story in scripture. And notice how they're both valiant soldiers, 
but are fully depending on God to deliver them the victory. In 1 Samuel 14, Jonathan says, the Lord will go before us. Nothing can hinder the Lord by saving by many or by few. And then in Jonathan's, and then in David's story, a few chapters later, you hear David say to Goliath, this, this very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And all the assembly will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's and he will deliver you into my hand. And so you see this bond, this deep level, soul level bond that's formed, that's formed between Jonathan and David is not founded on anything worldly. It goes much deeper than, than influence, right? It goes much deeper than shared interests. The, the bond is rooted in their shared faith in God and their shared willingness to be on mission for God. And it's that shared faith and mission that creates an eternal foundation for their deep friendship. And this is why I believe that covenant-type friendships built on faith in Christ have the potential to reach a depth that, that secular relationships just can't, right? And I'm not saying you can't have deep moments with people that are non-believers. That's not what I'm saying. But I, I always remembered feeling like I could meet a, a, a Christian and develop such a deep bond with them, much deeper than people I've grown up with my entire life who don't know Jesus. And I've always thought, why is that? And if I'm honest, I, th I think a big reason why that is is because the moment you meet a Christian, you are now engaged in a relationship that continues beyond death, right? Like there's an eternal aspect to your friendship. And because of your shared faith in Christ, death won't be the last time you see each other. And so the beauty of covenant friendship is that they have an eternal foundation, and that is of shared faith and shared mission. So let's keep reading in verse 3. Then Jonathan makes a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. So Jonathan loves him as his own soul and then makes a covenant. So let's talk about what a covenant is. The Hebrew word for covenant, the root word for covenant, is barut. Uh, and that word means um, the choicest meat. So... Uh, the phrase to make a covenant literally means to cut the choicest meat, right? What does that even mean? Uh, and so in those times when two parties wanted to make a covenant together, the party initiating the covenant would take their fattened livestock, right? Their best cut of meat, their Wagyu beef of the day, if you will, right? And they would cut it in half and they would walk in between them as a symbol of what would happen to either party if they didn't obey the covenant, and so a covenant was a solemn oath, and yet it involved a sacrifice that, hey, I'm willing to give my best to show how committed I am to partnering with you. So covenant involves sacrifice, but what Jonathan offers David is so much deeper than a fattened calf. What Jonathan does in verse 4 is, is almost impossible. Verse 4, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt, and this, and that. I mean, notice how many ands are in this verse, right? He's in like a really giving mood, right? Feeling really generous. Gave him his robe, his sword, his shield. I mean, now he's completely vulnerable, right? But what Jonathan is doing here, it goes so much further, right? It, it's far beyond just mere generosity or vulnerability. This isn't just an act of kindness. In Jonathan giving up his royal robe to David and everything along with it, Jonathan is symbolically giving David his right to the throne 
as future king of Israel. It would be as if Jonathan took off the crown that, that was meant for him to one day wear as the future king and placed it on David's head. It's unreal. And so does he do this because of the covenant alone? Yes, but it's not just that. It's both the covenant with David and the foundation of his covenant with David that are made visible through this act of sacrifice. It's his love for David and his faith in God and his willingness to live for God's mission that allows him to step aside, right? Because he recognizes, okay, the same God that that David and I both love and actively serve the same God, the same God that, that was with both of us as we defeated the Philistines is the same God that is anointing David to be the future king of Israel. And though it's Jonathan's birthright, he willingly lays it down. Jonathan both loves God and loves David as himself and shows that by his willingness to give up everything. And if I can be candid, our souls desire this deeply. We desire this. Our souls desire a deep level covenantal type connection and the biggest lie out there is that it's only found in marriage. It's a lie. There are people who have been married more than most of us have been alive and yet they are lonelier than they ever were before they got married. See, marriage isn't the only covenant that God wants to use to show the world how much he desires for us to experience his love. And if that were the case, then John 13, 35 would read a lot different, where Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. If you get married and treat your wives and husbands with respect and honor, it doesn't read that, right? It doesn't read that. What does it say? No, people will know that you are my disciples. What people are searching for, right, the type of love that they desire, they'll know that love by the way that you love one another. They'll know that you follow God by the way that you love one another. And then Jesus goes on further to define the kind of love he's talking about in verse 13 of chapter 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So the love that Jesus is talking about, self-sacrificial, that I'm willing to give up, willing to step aside the things that I hold dear because of our love for God and my love for you, right? And the world wants this. That's why there's all sorts of research right now on like how to deepen relationships, how to find deep, meaningful relationships. But they're just now finding this stuff out, right? They're just now finding out stuff that the Bible has literally been saying. This just in, COVID has proven that prolonged isolation from community is detrimental to human health and flourishing, right? Okay, so what you're telling me is it's not good for man to be alone? Precisely. Right? Got it. Thanks. I mean, I hate to break it to you. You're late, right? You're like like way late. Genesis. (laughs) Right? I mean, Brene Brown, love her. All her talk about vulnerability and shedding armor, she's not the originator. We see that in our passage today, right? First Samuel, she didn't start it. And there's a lot we can learn from the world's research, right? But even their research is pointing to the fact that that people desperately desire deep covenant type friendships. The world wants this. And so they're cherry picking God's truth, but they don't have to. 
because he offers this in its fullness. We want this. We just don't want what it costs sometimes, right? The problem is this kind of love and acceptance does not come without personal sacrifice. It just doesn't. And so unless we are saved from our selfish sin, we remain slaves to our sin and have no help of living for anything other than our own personal happiness. And so the beauty of covenantal relationships, friendships, is that they display a faith in Christ that makes it possible to both give and receive this kind of love and acceptance. And it's what people want. It's what people want. But this kind of love is impossible to give without first knowing an all-loving God. And so as we continue on in the story, uh, Saul gets really jealous. He gets super jealous. That song we talked about earlier is starting to blow up. Everyone's singing it. And so Saul is, as you can imagine, irate, uh, very jealous. And so he tries to kill David multiple times, okay? Uh, He tries to spear David. He misses twice. He tries to, like, negotiate these shady deals with David, right? But David kind of outsmarts him. He tries to entrap David. He's doing everything he can to have David killed. So David, running for his life, he runs to Jonathan, and that's where we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 20. Then David fled from Nioth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done? What is my guilt and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? And he said to him, far from it. You shall not die. My father does nothing either great or small without disclosing it to me. And why should my father hide this from me? It's not so. But David bowed again. Your father knows well that I found favor in your eyes. And he thinks, don't let Jonathan know, lest he be grieved. So David runs to Jonathan like, bro, your dad's trying to kill me. Jonathan's like, no, he's not, bro. If if he was, he would let me know. He tells me everything. David's like, bro, he knows that we're best friends. So of course he's not going to tell you. But then David says something at the end of that verse that's really, really sobering. He says, but truly as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there's but a step between me and death. David knows that he's barely escaped losing his life multiple times. And so he's scared. He's scared. And I think we all know in theory that, man, death is a scary thought. Dying is scary, right? And we all operate under the notion that, yeah, anyone can lose their life at any minute. But none of us think it's us, right? Anyone can, no one is guaranteed tomorrow. We'll say that with confidence, but we don't, like, we don't actually believe we might be the next ones to go. So we just wrapped up strategic plans, or I just wrapped up my strategic plan. It's when I plan out for the next year what, what I want college ministry, the vision for college ministry. You know what's not in that plan? Me dying. <laughs> right? I'm serious. And, and it's sobering. There are times where I'm driving on the highway, and you see an accident where you're like, oh, my goodness. I know, I know for a fact that someone died in this accident, unfortunately, right? <clears throat> and I think to myself, man, I wonder, what are the chances that they knew when they woke up, today would be their last day? And so why, why am I sharing this? Why am I sharing this? I'm attempting to shatter the illusion that we're invincible, because we believe it. We believe it. Now, why do I want to shatter that illusion? So that we can attempt to relate to David as best we can in this moment. David is vulnerable, he's scared, he's in distress, he's experienced a lot of trauma, and yet he finds a safe place in Jonathan. And I don't think it's a coincidence that though it's Jonathan who initiates vulnerability, 
here's everything, bro. I'm defenseless before you, my sword, my shield, my this, my that. Though he initiates vulnerability, it's David throughout the story that's running to him for protection. Jonathan has proven to be a safe place for David. And he shows it again in verse four. Then Jonathan said to David, whatever you say, I will do for you. The beauty of covenant friendships is that they provide a fortress in our most traumatic times. And so who do you run to? And not what do you run to, who do you run to when your soul is in distress, when you're experiencing trauma? Who are the safe people in your life? I feel like the first time I experienced anything like this, um, distress yet comfort, like all, all within an hour, uh, it was in 2008, uh, while I was still in high school, I was a freshman, and we got evicted. Um, my dad was a realtor. It was during the housing market um, crash, and so it was really hard. And I remember the cops showing up and being like, hey, you guys have like 30 minutes to fit whatever you can in y'all's little minivan. Y'all got to go. And in that moment, we're driving around, and I'm like, I, oh, my goodness. Like, where are we going? We just became homeless. And I'm a 14-year-old boy with no means to help. I felt helpless. And yet, fast forward an hour, my parents have driven to a family friend's house, and they welcome us in with open arms, allow us to get back on our feet, stay for a couple months. There are a few times in my life where I felt that hopeless, and yet that safe, all within an hour. Covenant friendships can provide that type of fortress in our time of need. And so Jonathan tells David, put me to work. How can I help? David devises a plan. He says, listen, tomorrow's the New Moon Festival. Um, your, your dad has invited me to sit his, at his table, but I'm going to go into hiding for three days. And when he asks where I am, tell him that you gave me permission to go home and celebrate with my family. And if he's cool with me not being there, then we'll know he's not trying to kill me. But if he freaks out because I'm not there, then you'll know he's trying to kill me because he's upset that he's missed yet another opportunity to take my life. And Jonathan says, okay, I'll do that. And then Depending on what happens, I will, I will give you some sort of signal that knows whether you have to run for your life or whether you're welcome back. And so David, at the end of that plan, reminds Jonathan of his covenant so that he keeps his promise, says something very interesting at the end of verse 8. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? Huh. He approaches Jonathan, knows that Jonathan is a safe place, but it's not to gossip about Jonathan's psycho daddy, right? <laughs> it's not to slander him. It's not to slander Saul, even though it seems like he would have the right to, right? I mean, this is Saul's jealousy on full display. David has done nothing wrong. And so even though that, that Saul is obsessed with killing David out of pure jealousy, David still cares about pursuing his own personal holiness. And he not only finds a fortress in Jonathan, he finds a safe place. He invites Jonathan into his fight for holiness by asking what he says in verse 8. And not only that, in verse 1, he asks some really deep personal accountability questions. What have I done? He doesn't make it about his death. Bro, what have I done? What is, my, what is my sin that your father is seeking to take my life? And at the time, there were many things you could do that were punishable by death. So David isn't asking a rhetorical question. David is asking, is there any sin in my life that has contributed to the dreadful circumstances I'm in? 
And the beauty of covenant friendship is that they don't just provide a fortress, a safe place, but that they fight for holiness even when it's hard. And it takes a lot of bravery to do. And I'm not talking about being the friend that calls your friends out and sin. Hey, y'all are sinning right now. Y'all need to stop sinning, right? That's sin, stop it, right? That's not what I'm talking about. That's, that's almost easy for some of us. What's much more difficult is being the friend that invites people in, people that know you, that love the Lord, that love you, that you, you create opportunities for them to speak into your life. Are the people who you consider a safe place, not just a safe place for you to process, but a safe place for you to invite them to speak into the areas of weakness in your life. The fact that, the fact that David says, if there's any guilt in me, means that he's acknowledging that he may have blind spots, right? Subtle sins that he's not aware of. Because sin is deceptive, it's sneaky, it's sly, it sneaks up on you. And if there's anything I've learned from the season that, that we're in right now is that no one is immune to this. No one is immune, right? As much as I earnestly desire to say with full confidence that I will never fill in the blank, I know deep down, right? I know deep down in my heart that my life can one day look like Peter's, who said with confidence and conviction, Lord, I'll never deny you, twice. They will, I won't. Only to wake up one day having just denied him once or twice, but three times, right? In a moment's notice. And so because I realized I'm not immune, I told Tori this week, bro, if there is ever anything you ever see in my life, please, I'm inviting you in to call me out. And here's what he said, yes, but I can, only, I can only see as much as you allow me to see. Are you inviting people in? And sometimes this takes time, right? I mean, there's a criteria for Jonathan to covenant himself today. He doesn't just pick a rando, right? You and I just became best friends. We did? Yes. When, what happened, right? Like, no, there is, there is, like he sees through David's actions a man after God's own heart. He's like, I want a covenant with this dude. Character. He sets the bar high. And yet, even though this takes time, it's worth working towards. Covenant friendships are beautiful because they don't just provide a safe place when the world is falling apart around us. They provide a safe place for us to fight for holiness. So we fight for it. And sometimes people will just tell you things you're not aware of, not just covenant. For some, sometimes people will just tell you things you're not aware of, right? And they may not even be sins. It may just be things that you didn't know that you did that, like, hurt people, right? So in order to, like, love people better, you want to know what those things in you, you invite them in. I remember in Dallas, I had a friend come up to me a couple days after an event we were at. He was like, bro, I was really hurt by you the other day. I was like, really? Dang, man, tell me what I did. That's not the first time I've heard that, right? So tell me, what, like, what? He was like, we were having a conversation. I was telling you some real deep stuff, bro, and you literally just walked away mid-sentence. I was like, I did? He's like, yeah. And I started to realize, this is like the 10th person that's told me that I do that. <laughs> and I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know. I have a tendency to zone out mid-conversation. I'm not, I'm not aware of it sometimes, right? One second, I'm in the convo. Next second, you don't exist. You never did. I'm just doing something else. Next conversation, I don't know. My ADD, I don't know. 
And what does that communicate to people? Yusuf doesn't care, but I do care. I do care. I just get really easily distracted. And so to be super intentional means I've got to be an active listener or else bad things happen and people get hurt, right? So if we're in a conversation, I make it to the end without ghosting you to your face, know it's the grace of God on my life, okay? (laughs) Blind spots are inevitable. (laughs) The beauty of covenant friendships is that they create a safe place for you to discover them. All right, so as the story continues, the next day during the feast, David doesn't show up according to plan. First day, Saul isn't too upset about it. But then the second day, David still doesn't show up. And Saul Saul asks Jonathan, yo, where is David? And Jonathan tells him that he asked to leave for the celebration to go home to his family. And Saul's response to Jonathan is what we pick up in verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Uh, In case y'all were wondering, Jonathan just got cussed out by his daddy. (laughs) That's what this is. Uh, And I could tell y'all what that means in Hebrew, but I might lose my job. So if you really want to know, look it up in the NLT. Uh, I digress. Uh, Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Jonathan, or Saul, hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. Man, all Jonathan asked was, hey, what did David do? Right? It's almost like Jonathan was just taking David's request for personal accountability seriously. David asked, what have I done? Jonathan asked, what has he done? Right? He fights for holiness and accountability alongside David, and he experiences the very same attack that David experienced the first time Saul tried to kill him. And so here's a quick nugget that we can can learn from this. A part of pushing back darkness is fighting for holiness in ourselves and in our friendships, okay? But here's what we can expect. When we push back darkness, darkness is not just gonna roll over, all right? So when we push back darkness, when we make pushing back darkness a part of our mission as a church, we need not be surprised when darkness starts to push back, right? Like we're not just looking for some cute kind of catchphrase to brand our church. Oh, we push back darkness and we fight for community. Like this isn't a, it's not cute. Like we're, we're in a spiritual battle. And when we join to fight for holiness, we collectively can become a target. That's why it's all the more important to fight for covenant friendships so that we don't battle alone. So continuing, continuing on in the story, Jonathan finds out that Saul has been trying to kill David. So the next morning, he gives the signal that him and David agreed on, uh, that David's actually gonna have to run for his life. But before David begins his journey into the wilderness, they have another conversation in verse 41. And as soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground, bowed three times, and they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. David weeping the most because he knows his life is practically over. He's about to leave friends, family, his home, as he journeys on into the wilderness. 
Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord saying, the Lord shall be between me and you and my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose and departed. And David would be on the run for the next 15 years in the wilderness before Saul dies and he becomes king. And the unfortunate part of the story is Jonathan dies too. But there's one more covenant that Jonathan and David made before Jonathan passed away. And it's in verse 14 and 16. If I'm still alive, this is Jonathan speaking. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. And do not cut off your steadfast love for my house forever. When the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord take vengeance on David's enemies. So why would he say, don't cut off your steadfast love for my household forever? You see, in those times, the moment a new king came into power, guess who was the first to die? All of the family of the old king, the lineage of the old king would be wiped out as to prevent any sort of future potential threat. And so Jonathan makes this covenant with David, hey, that same steadfast love that's at the foundation of our friendship, would, would you show that same love to even my family? even my future generations. Would you extend that love to my family as well? And after David becomes king, he shows in 2 Samuel 9.3 that he actually fully intends on keeping that promise. It reads this. David asked Ziba, Saul's servant, the question, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show the, God, the kindness of God to? And so David finds out that Jonathan has a son that's still alive, and his name is Mephibosheth. And that name literally means from the mouth of shame. Now, Mephibosheth is lame in both feet because when Saul had died, everyone in Saul's household was running for their lives. And Mephibosheth, his caretaker in the chaos, dropped Mephibosheth as a young boy on the floor, paralyzed him in both feet. And so when David's men find Mephibosheth, he's still in hiding. He's scared for his life. And yet he's also helpless. There's a lot of shame in him. And yet, because of the covenant made with his father and their shared love for the Lord, rather than wiping him out, he invites him to a place of honor. Verse 9, and David said to him, do not fear, for I will show you the kindness. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both his feet. Because of David's love for God and his love for Jonathan, he covenants himself to someone who was helpless and unable to give him anything in return. And so it's not just about how we can experience this, how we can find friendships, how we can find covenant friendships. It's about, hey, who can we bless as a result of this? How can the love that we have for God and one another because of the foundation that we share spill out onto those around us? even those who may not be able to give us anything in return. Um, I think our foster advocacy ministry <clears throat> here at the well is actually a great example of this. Uh, Tori said before, the well fosters more um, children per capita than any church in Austin. And what you see when you, when you peer into that ministry is you see single parents, you see married parents, you see parents covenanting themselves, committing themselves, either for a season or for a lifetime through adoption to children that have had really, really hard upbringings hard stories, right? And what you see in that is the, go the gospel reflected. 
you see the gospel reflected. And that's an example on what our covenant friendship should be like, that they reflect the gospel and bless the people around us. FAM is a great ministry, by the way. So if you want to find out more about that ministry, um, they have an interest meeting coming up August 21st. Uh, slide for more information. Yeah, so fill out a connect form if you are interested in that. But this leads me to my last point is the beauty of covenantal friendships. They don't just point to a foundation of faith. They foreshadow the fullness of God's kingdom to come. You see, throughout this story, we see reflections of Christ. We see reflections of God the Father. We see reflections of the gospel. God the Father, he is the true and better Saul who is not wicked or deceitful, but the complete opposite. Where, where Saul is pursuing David relentlessly to kill him, the Father pursues us relentlessly. Not to take our lives, but to give us life. To show us the abundant grace that he offers us. And so when King Saul invites David to the table, it's actually a plot to kill him. When the Father invites us to the table, it's a loving invitation to receive his grace and become his children. Yet there's a problem. The unrighteous cannot dine with the righteous safely, right? We die. If we are in a state of unrighteousness in the presence of a righteous God, it isn't safe for us. And so what does God do? What does God the Father do? He sends Jesus, the greater Jonathan, who though is king in his own right, is willing to leave his heavenly throne, give up everything, but where Jonathan escapes the spear of an enemy, Jesus wouldn't. He would die on a cross. And a spear would actually be thrusted into his side so that all of us who put our faith in him are not only cleansed and made righteous, but become co-heirs with Christ, children of God, invited to his table to dine with him forever. We are Mephibosheth, helpless, shameful, ridden with shame, unable to take care of ourselves, unable to please God. And yet through Christ, we're invited to the table, not because of anything that we've earned, but because Jesus gave up everything. And so we see this covenant friendship between David and Jonathan. It's a dope friendship, but it points to something much bigger than the both of them, individually, collectively. So when we choose to covenant with one another, we're asking the question, how can God be glorified? through our covenant commitments, our commitments to this church, our commitments to one another. And you can only give that love once receiving that kind of love. And so would we pursue covenant friendships like this? Eternal love, eternal faith at the foundation that it may spill out and show the world the steadfast love of God, amen? Amen, let me pray. Father, thank you that through this friendship, you show us a beautiful picture of your love for us. That you are relentless, God, in your pursuit of us. And even though you, as the Father and the Son, shared perfect friendship, covenant friendship, you allowed that connection to be broken for a time as Jesus would come down and die for us, taking on the sins of the world. So that all of us, God, who have sinned against you, all of us who are not good covenant friends, that we often think about ourselves before we think about anyone else, 
our own personal happiness, that we may still have an invitation to your table because of what Christ has done. And I pray that if there's anyone in here that doesn't know you, that they would feel in their soul this invitation. It doesn't matter how much shame is in them or on them, there's an invitation to the table. I pray that they would receive it and accept it. It's in Jesus' name, amen.